to Big Red Couch, the podcast about making role-playing games. A group of GMs and players draw ideas from the mystery box and bring their game pitches to you. Hello, listener, and welcome to episode 174 of The Big Red Couch. Here on my distinctly non-couch-like cheap chair from Ikea, I am Craig, and... On the other side of the world, on, I suspect, also some non-couch-like furniture, is... It's Ben. We keep picking holes in our format. First we say there's, it's, you know, it's not really a game show, or it's not really a RPG design podcast, and now we're not even on a couch. People are going to, they're not going to think very much of our credibility going from this point. It's I, Ben. He and him. Giving Craig shit from here in Tamaki Makarao, Auckland, New Zealand, about his intro which uh, seems unfair. How you doing, Craig? I'm okay. I mean, I could I could move to the, like, the, the wingback armchair, also from Ikea, but it's still not very couchy. Yeah. Yeah. I think... I'm actually trying to think the last time that I recorded from a couch, and I think it was Inverness back in, like, 2016, 2017. I think that was the wow. last time I actually had regular... Regular couch access, which sounds way worse now that I put those words together. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not getting any better the more I think about it. I'm going to stop that when now. You were, when you were couch-enabled. Indeed. Couch-enhanced. No, that's that's worse. Sorry, you threw me a bone and I went with it. What am I going to do? That, that, that's fair <laughs> enough. But oh, I, I am good here in, in, in jolly old England. Uh, green stuff is starting to happen on the trees and it's not moss. Sunshine is happening to the extent that that is legally permissible in the United Kingdom. And the weather is is slowly warming up. More and more sort of cafes and bars are putting tables and chairs outside. So far in kind of an amusing, well, maybe some of the smokers will want to sit down way. Not in a let's enjoy the sunshine, but it's heading in that direction. Uh, over here it was the opposite, but wetter. Ah. <laughs> well, it is Auckland. Yeah, the weather report mentioned smog this Ooh. morning, which I... Yeah, there, it's going to be foggy tomorrow, apparently. I don't know, not sure about the smog thing. That, that surprised me. I hadn't actually... I sleep like cramp and didn't actually emerge particularly early, so I didn't spot anything like that. So yeah, it's a bit weird. Anywho, here we are. Episode 174, which I cannot even pretend is a auspicious or significant number, other than we have a prompt to construct something that sounds like a role-playing game to some naive person who might not be paying attention. I think pretty much everything we do sounds like a role-playing game to that naive person, and, and we thank you for your your listenership. Um, really, we, we really do. We honestly, we couldn't have gotten this far without you. Uh, you, uh, you are the wind beneath our wings. Wow. Okay. We, we either just <laughs> we just made someone's day or really offended on the entire audience. <laughs> cool. And a bit middler. That's fair. <laughs> so uh, the the prompt for for today, uh, we're just stepping away from Ben's. I'm pretty sure there was a movie, maybe eighties or nineties. I don't remember anymore. That was Fair enough. that was in the before four, and yeah, 
before the before times. Uh, our prompt comes to us apparently from Ben and reads courtly submarine warfare. Now I've got the vaguest memory of where this came from. Oh, more than I've got. We had an episode where there was like a shadow, a shadow court of some sort of regal situation where there was a not like a fate sort of like summer winter court but literal kind of on the other side of the wall there was another court which took care of all the dirty dirty deeds and so forth mm. i've forgotten which episode it was it's probably it's probably out there and people are remember uh, are remembering better than we we are but the idea that I think my notion was, or what I was alluding to, was that there were these people walking around in their um, Louis the Fifteenth Sun King regalia, and these other people in very, very normal, uh, very sort of like um, toned down stuff, sort of executing affairs of state, just in passing, and and keeping everything um, discreet, discreetly hidden below the sort of foamy ruffles of the crowd that the, that they are moving amongst that does ring a bell i'll see if i can figure out which episode it was yeah at this point i think we've earned our um horrific amnesia about our own <laughs> content because uh it wasn't that long ago it certainly was within the last 20 possible last 10 it might have been drab majesty of course, yes, yes. That's the that was your pitch that there was the resplendent majesty and the drab majesty, and it was the yeah. and it was the the dividing line between those two courts. Okay, all right, there you go. We we uh, <sighs> this is this is a bit sad. I understand we're kind of like um, reminiscing about our youths as of like uh, last year sometime. <laughs> Thirteenth of February, twenty twenty-one. Apparently, uh, episode uh, one hundred and fifty-four. There you go. Um, it has been a long ass intervening thirteen, fourteen months, though. And with a title image that I'm pretty confident is a photo I took in San Francisco of this weird kind of. I'm not even sure what it was. I think it's an arts center, or I'll look up what it is. But yes, it was just this. This structure that you could see for bloody miles. Oh, okay. That very much had the vibe of San Francisco has been quietly colonized by a very large and ornate spaceship. Because it's sort of this big, tall thing with lots of arches. And I think it may be an art center, but I'll, I'll, uh, it'll be in the show notes like every other thing that we, we casually throw out here. Fair enough. If it's a, like a car park, it's putting on ears. I bet it would make an awesome car park. It'd be the sort of the sort of car park that you'd you'd want to hang out in, at least until it filled up with those little sort of disposable canisters of, of food grade nitrous and that kind of thing. But anyway, that might just be a thing that happens here. I'm not sure. It might. It, yeah. No. No. I think it happens in any place with access to uh, catering grade whippets. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of they go through a lot of them in certain bits of the town I'm in. You see drifts of the damn thing on a, on a weekend. It's just are you just really bad at this i mean it, it does it does um meet conform to sangerman's law regarding you know the complexities of intoxicants so that's true yeah yeah it was a which was that book uh that would be zodiac uh that's yeah, I think yeah, a, yeah. a very early a very early neil stevenson book from memory i think his second mm. one 
I don't recall if it was the protagonist or his hacker friend who was lugging around a hefty bag full of nitrous oxide and taking hits occasionally. From memory, yeah, the protagonist was the one who, who had the theory that the um, a drug is better if it has fewer fewer atoms involved because then mm. it makes predicting what it's going to do easier. And so something like nitrous with only three three atoms involved is pretty pretty comprehensible. And alcohol only has nine, so we're getting okay. But anything above there, and you start to run into into unpredictability issues. Mm. And yes, there was a bit with somebody sort of cooking cooking bacon over a gas stove while taking um, hits from a hefty bag full of nitrous. Yeah, this is a reason why his roommate has no eyebrows. Was was I think a comment? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. It was a very Neil Stevenson book. A lot of research went into that. Mm. On toxic waste and pollution Sa- and... Sabotaging pipelines. Yeah, and water sanitation and this kind of thing. Mm. Worth a read if you can find a copy. <laughs> mm. Anyway. Yeah, good good discussion of the nightmares of dioxin. Oh, yeah. Not as weirdly preachy as his later stuff. Well, I guess no. Neil Stevenson was never quite preachy, but he's very thesisy. Yes, I I found after a certain point that I wasn't enjoying his books as much because there was just so much. There was so much going on. They were exhausting. I yeah, I, I was having trouble um, trouble following, figuring out what the plot was, uh, mm. or if there even was one in places. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes, I think I stopped. I think at the, at the start of the Baroque cycle, I just sort of eventually had to pull the plug and just okay. I'm just I'm not enjoying these as much anymore. Uh, maybe things mm. have changed since then. Uh, I think Manu said nice things about Seven Eves, which I think was one of his. But um, mm. so maybe I will just skip those ones and, and and go on to the to the next bit. I don't know. Maybe you just need a hefty bag through full of nitrous oxide to get you through it. That might just be what's going on. There might be a very uh, healthy speculative fiction uh, reading circle in your neighbourhood, and they're just um, you know getting some air. Just ripped off their tits while they're doing it. Okay, then I mean, that's a possibility. I'll, I'll, I'll go no. and track them down and check. <laughs> it was a heroic attempt to close out that little uh, <laughs> peregrination, I think. But we'll. Uh... I I think it worked. Um, it worked surprisingly well. Okay, so this week we're talking about The Great Gatsby. Um, right, everybody got their bag? Okay, let's just take a bang. Oh, this was a ripping book, man. I, I can see that working. Um. Yes, yes. Uh, it, it's, a better, it's a vision of a better world, and that is what we, the Big Red Couch, bring to you. Not a sensible Ooh, one, nice. but maybe a better one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a sillier world, but... So, did you, in, yeah, did, did you, in your, your wanderings of the past few weeks, come up with an idea for courtly submarine warfare? I did, and it ties Ooh. in to the, the, oh. the, the time of year and, and the week that we are currently recording this in. We are on the second to last day of the Kiwi RPG Week, and I myself have been uh, watching streams several streams i'm not a big actual play stream watching person but i caught the a um a stream for the d12 go um game which is an interesting lightweight i think i'll get the person's name so we are doing this properly and all that 
Um, just just to let, let you and the audience know that the big red couch relevance meter is approaching red line, but we're still in the safety area. Just just so that you know, I'll, I'll let you know if it trips over into some sort of zone of danger. And we're, we're, we're getting dangerously relevant and topical. Yes, indeed. Yes, one of the um, reasonably established um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons actual play uh, groups. I believe it is Fate of Eisen. Like, might be horribly wrong. Um, their GM, Brad Zimmerman, has made D12 Go, which is a really simple, stripped down. You can generate an adventure on the fly. You can generate little encounters with it on the fly. And it's very much a, this kind of thing happens, how does it go kind of system. And I got it as part of the, um, the QRPG bundle. The PDF is nicely laid out at very least. It's actually I'm looking at it and thinking, that, gosh, this is easy to read. Well done. And the system is pretty straightforward. I think it would actually work for all of those games where we can't figure out what sort of system to use it very much yeah. feels like that kind of thing where it's it's certainly not one of the esoteric bullshit set things that ben comes up with but it definitely has a, a good straightforward flow and watching some some folks who are reasonably um practiced at being like on camera actual players and they ran a just a fun little campaign with, with a um a bunch of uh, hardened criminals rescuing people from a an a island infested with killer robots. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. It was it, like I said, it's light, it is designed to be light, lightweight and spontaneous, and encourage sort of improvisation and the like. So yeah, that was that was a good time. And yeah, the um, Kiwi RPG has been week has been going swimmingly. It seems folks seem really happy with people getting involved, and it's going to be going for. It'll be well. It'll be over a week by the time we get this out because we are dreadful people but um yeah no it's been a it's been a fun time look we could do live shows but nobody is going to be enjoying that listening experience eh. actually no i'll take that back we're hilarious <laughs> or at least we can be edited to be more hilarious which is possibly just us being uh coy there is a bit of uh cringe associated with all new zealand endeavors on some level so uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's a bit, maybe, maybe a lot. I'm trying, try, I'm trying to um, just decide which which New Zealand island could be infested by uh, by killer robots for the most comedy effect. It's got to be Waiheke. Come on. Mm. So killer robots and and vineyards. Yeah, I can see it. <laughs> yes. I mean, you could you could have some fun with. For some reason, I'm just imagining Brown's Island. On the ground that you could have it infested with killer robots, but as long as they can't swim, it's just like a... Well, that's basically a problem that solved itself. Uh, <laughs> not like there's anybody there. That would be, you know, one of the one of the less pressing robot invasion scenarios, to be fair. Yeah. I know, I've, I've, I've always had a vague, vague soft spot for that island, just because from many angles, it looks like this island with kind of gentle rolling hills of green grass and it's got trees and then you get to a certain point and you realize that at some point the island just stops like somebody cut it off and there's just a gentle rolling hill cliff face down into the water i don't know what happened to make it that way i've i've never really I, i've never really checked but it's just 
it's vaguely hilarious to me that it's like you've got half an island sitting in the um, sitting in the harbour for some reason. Looks like a Minecraft accident. Actually, yeah, it really does. It's sort of, oh, that's the edge of the map. We'll never have to worry about that. Nobody will ever mm. see it from that angle. Uh, <laughs> like those various bits of doom levels where if you turned on clipping and walked through the walls, you realise it's like, okay, they just never bothered closing off any of this stuff because nobody was ever going to see it. Anywho, as part, of the, uh, as part of the bundle, I picked up a game called Signal R21. It has some slashes in there as well. but And reading through various things this is this is this is not a sort of game that ben has has tried before but i have been intrigued by it it is an epistolary storytelling game for two players and involves messages between parties uh, specifically in the uh, signal r21 version it's based on uh, basically a a reference guide called uh, signal seed which you create your world and you you build your characters around the communication sent between them and it's designed to be a high society mecha pilot letter writing game so some sort of huh. some species of gundam kind of or even battle tech mecha pilots as kind of knights or courtly figures and and their their interactions between those sorts of things and having read that and having looked and looking at the courtly submarine warfare i was thinking interesting the, the signal seed uh, system might be it might be an interesting approach for something. The system itself uses a kind of tarot. Effectively, you make your own arcana, and as as the story is built, you place them in various spreads like you would in a tarot reading, and that helps you describe the story. And once you have your for this for this game your twelve major arcana. That is that means the game finishes and something comes to a resolution. And it might be tragic or romantic or something, but it means that that that's this little this little thread of um, messages or letters has, has come to an end. So it's a really interesting idea, um, come up by the New Zealand RPG designer who was on itch as Hexavexagon, which is also a cool mathematical um, shape a folding shape reference which is pretty pretty groovy yeah so my the the instinct i've got to go with is to come up with something similar but more submarine and your brown your brown island thing kind of might not quite fit with but it is appropriately nautical my pitch for this would be for setting something similar but in the seas of europa underneath the <laughs> underneath the ice and separated from the the rest of the solar system whatever's happened to it is not important to the story no, either it's out there or they're not talking to us or something's going on but settlements on on europa are, are sort of disparate and sort of a, a, a sort of constant state of low cold war being you know, it is pretty cold to start with but there are all the settlements are, are situated around the hydrothermal vents and in this, you know, these these vast oceans of extremely cold water um, underneath the uh, kilometres or tens of kilometres of ice. Science isn't sure yet, but it looks like a lot of ice. Something is keeping the um, the, the, the water liquid and giving Europa its marvellously f- marble-like surface. But there is a there is a certain cadre of pilots 
who uh, initially they were used to sort of explore and travel through to, 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 to bore through the ice and and so forth but now they they, they act as the defenders and the, the guardians of these these settlements because it's it's a tenuous world there there's a lot of there's a lot of um, there are a lot of perils and mostly environmental but also there's the idea that you know, it's, there could be someone out there in this in another society that we haven't talked to in a while they could be up to something and the idea of a and also, I, I, I imagine the, 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 the tactical situation, the way that these, these things interact, being a, a moon of um, Jupiter, having this, 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 this weird icy ocean, it's actually pretty hard to spot something going on out there, you know, because Jupiter is extremely electromagnetically active. It's, there's lots of lots of sounds and 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 echoes and ripples going on. So it's, it's possible to just kind of, it, it's you know it's even it, it, picking out a signal, you know, tracking another vessel is is even harder than this in, in Earth's Earth's oceans. But somehow two of these two of these pilots from the different settlements have started exchanging messages, because they're. A, a fairly isolated group. They spend a lot of time in these these massively insulated swimming slash boring machines that can 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 cut through they cut through the ice and travel in the in this in this sort of buried ocean. So they're actually quite isolated from their own communities in a way. And this other person out there who has the same training and the same experiences actually might be a bit more relevant. And the idea that they they're having a conversation about their situation in their world and they're learning about what is and, and what their what their settlement is like whether it's like a like a, a communal like rigid kind of ant-like colony or if it's run like a feudal society or something and they're having these conversations like either you know maybe they're, they're like effectively putting messages inside buoys or even torpedoes or something and, and lofting them off into the distance and having a uh, having this this, this very tense conversation in this fashion might be um, an interesting idea so yeah the idea that you're kind of playing blind man's bluff with blunderbuss uh, with loaded blunderbusses but also maybe having a like a heartfelt conversation at the same time interesting another thing that it may that that spin this was a a little indie game probably also on it just as these as bundlers are called Iron Lung. Iron Lung is a PS1 grade retro looking game in which you're apparently a prisoner sealed inside a vessel and told to search a blood red ocean, ocean of blood, I believe they specifically refer to as, for a number of signals that have been um, detected on this. These signals are important to be, to be, to be determined because at some point, all of the planets and stars vanished, aside from a couple of uh, this moon, and everyone is trying to figure out why. Huh. And the, mechan the mechanism is you have steering, you have acceleration, you have a coordinate, a coordinate counter and a map, but you can't look at them at the same time. It's one of, like one of those. It's a bit. It's a little bit like the um, Five Nights at Freddy's. You say, "All right, that's my coordinate." I look at the map. All right, that, that's where I am. I'm gonna turn 45 degrees and go for a bit. Uh, go for a bit longer. All right, that's where I am. Cool. And the 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 vessel, the Iron Lung, has 
no portholes because it's completely sealed it has a camera but it takes about two seconds for the camera to when activated to register an image so you're effectively are going around on the floor of this terrifying ocean taking these polaroids to see what's out there <laughs> it's claustrophobic and you know it takes like less it takes less than an hour to play and yes it's mostly about the atmosphere and the um all the little crises that happen when you're sealed in a tiny metal tube underneath a blood ocean which might have monsters in it but no one's really sure plus the stars have gone <laughs> i mean that is putting more and more more and more thoughts that there might be monsters in there just on the grounds of hey stars are gone also ocean <laughs> of blood what yeah it's it's it, it just its intro is pretty it's it, a tremendous economy of like so so on a, on a, on a scale of Fucked to completely fucked. Where are we? It's like, oh, you're well past that. <laughs> I, yeah, my idea is not going to uh, would would not try and be quite as alarmingly grim. But it had there is a bit of there's uh, a bit of um, influence there. Hmm. Presumably, with your one, any sort of any meta plot is going to develop out of those those letters back and mm. forth, which is is interesting. Yeah, it's just because it's a it's just like a two-player exchange, and yeah, the signal seed structure allows you to kind of go. All right, this is this is sort of the ta- This is the the, the uh, sort of the story we're telling, because each of the, the the spots and the tarot spread give you right. What is what is what are you filling in here? And you create a um, you you create a card for your arcana. Which is kind of part of the story, and build. So you you kind of build facts and feelings and name, proper nouns and so forth into the messages, and you put the themes and feelings and sort of like that that emotional weight into the into the cards. Which yeah, I like. I like it as a uh, a way of structuring a a what could be a play by post kind of thing. It probably should be a play by post kind of thing. I think mean, there was somebody waiting for you to write this shit down. <laughs> yeah, doing doing that real time would get old fast yeah if you're really into it you could but it would be nice to to cogitate and 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 work through those sorts of things Hmm. yeah plus most people write really slowly myself included or allegedly (laughs) also myself included yes there's a reason i use block capitals when i want things to be readable because my handwriting not that great Hmm, that's kind of cool. I, I do like the Europa angle. And you're going to have Jupiter just looming over the whole scene. Yeah, you could probably work in a bit of um, Greek pantheon stuff there if you felt like it. I can't, don't recall out of my mind, off the top of my head, who Europa was, but they probably had an unfortunate encounter with, uh, or their parent had an unfortunate encounter with Zeus at some point. One day, Zeus was feeling horny. And it's all, yeah, it's all myth start, pretty much, yeah. All murderous, to be fair. It could be murderous, too. All murderous, yeah. I, I don't have anything particularly useful to, to, to add, other than that sounds kind of neat. And, um, yeah, the fact that it would be an RPG that you could play asynchronously is, um, mm. is kind of fun. Mm. No, it was something I thought, that sounds cool, and I read it, looking at the title, and then I read it, that sounds cool. It's like, not some <laughs> kind of thing I've done before, so, yeah, mm. no, that's, uh, a good good brain opener. Indeed. Yes, because I have I have run into various letter writing games before. I think there was 
De Profundis and, and a few others, but um, not actually played any of them. So, yeah. Because to be fair, I've never played uh, any, any of the... Because there was sort of the golden age of, uh, of play-by-post hmm. RPGs, I think, in, in Auckland. There was some crowd who were actually doing a bunch of them. Yeah, Circle Games in the 90s did a bunch of... They were more strategic games. Uh, okay. Adventurer Kings and Lizards and so forth. Some of them had sort of roleplay adjacent settings, but they were more definitely risk-slash-diplomacy uh, asynchronous types, type games. Gotcha. Yeah, I may, may or in fact almost certainly did get confused by the way some of the proponents of them were talking about it and getting presumably I was just talking to the people who were getting right into their yeah. their imagination of their kingdom and hmm, hmm cool yes I, I don't have anything useful to add to yours unfortunately I, w- I wish I did but um yay stumped the coast Ooh. oh shall I shall I go next with one of my many ideas sure See, I was hoping for the exaggerated sigh, but it didn't happen. Such a slip. <laughs> I've just, I've just, yeah. You've just given up. You've just given up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I sort of started out with an image in mind and eventually came to the conclusion that I couldn't figure out how to make it work because I, I kind of liked the idea of something... Something a bit steampunky or, yeah, something that would fit into the sort of the social milieu of um, a game like Castle Falkenstein. And sort of, I liked the idea of this, you know, a, a submarine arriving at a settlement and you've got people in the, the canvas and brass diving suits sort of all linked to some sort of central air, air supply out sort of tending tending the seaweed crops kind of kind of thing and waving to the vessel as it comes in that that kind of scene you know and everything kind of, you know, in, a, in a shallow enough ocean that everything's lit with sort of this dappled sort of yeah, dappled blue green light unfortunately when trying to figure out how to make that happen i i really couldn't come up with any kind of setting that made it worth doing like i could you could come up with things of Okay, we're we're exploring the ocean floor, and we have settlements. Or the sun's gone very exciting, and so people have retreated underneath the water for survival. But a lot of it just came down to this is kind of a swords a, a swords and court thing with some extra complications that really don't aren't worth it. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't come up with something that wasn't just this is an overly complicated sitting. For no reason other than it will make cool book cover art, and so I decided to just try to to. I gotta hmm. I gotta admit I think some people have used that as a complete uh, inspiration. To be fair, I mean that seems probable. <laughs> I I personally could not come up with something that. I mean I did wonder about Europa and some sort of you know sort of space eighteen eighty nine and we're on Europa and we're we're exploring or something. But again I I couldn't. I couldn't quite make it work in my head. I couldn't come up with a, a justification for why we would, why you would bother having this over this overly complicated setting that realistically wouldn't be that relevant to any game. Well, 
you couldn't figure out a way to reverse engineer that, but presumably if you had something with the, that matched those themes, it would make sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't, I, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't sort of come up with something that justified it. But you know, you can you can make the argument that you know if you've got people wandering around in in canvas pressure suits and that sort of thing, that somebody using a sword actually that's a pretty good weapon underwater, especially if it's like a rapier, some sort of stabby thing against somebody in a pressure suit. That that's not a bad option. But it didn't quite work. But um, so I decided to try to rescue effectively the vibe because I still kind of like the vibe of the thing. And here is what I came up with. And so we this I suspect would work best as a a a convention or sh- a one shot or short run game. I'm not a hundred on how you get a longer game out of it, though you could potentially you, you like anything you could probably use it as the kickoff point for for a longer game. But sort of era-wise, we are, we're, we're dealing with a... I'd go historical on it, but you basically want sort of a small farming community. Not quite isolated, but certainly separated farms. Like you can, you can see your neighbours' places, but they're not that close. And you're, you're small-holding kind of, kind of situation. And over the, yeah, over the previous few days, a storm has blown in. And it got worse and worse. And yesterday, you know, it got bad enough that everybody kind of mustered out there, found the cows or found as many of the cows as they could and herded them into the barns. Same with the sheep. Rescued chickens out of wherever the hell they were hiding and sort of shut them in the shut them in the hen house. Nailed the shutters closed because the wind was really picking up. And just kind of hunkered down to to survive the storm. And yeah, by evening, the rain was falling so hard that it was actually a bit difficult to breathe. You're kind of that that, that absolutely torrential rain where you're just sort of slightly inhaling water every time you take a mm. breath. Everything is moist. Oh yes, so so moist. And so yeah, you can see your neighbours doing very much the same thing. At least until the visibility shut down completely. Basically, people are just hunkered down inside the the farmhouse and are just waiting for the storm to blow over. And it was you know a tremendously loud night of 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 rainfall. And then when people wake up in the morning, it's quiet out there. It's incredibly quiet. You can't hear the animals. You can't really hear anything just just no noise whatsoever not even the wind blowing so it's, it's a very still day out there presumably and then when somebody sort of unbars the front door and opens it they're confronted with this wall of water that the outside world is underwater it's not flooding into the house but there is just this it's it's working on vampire rules for some reason pretty much yeah the water cannot enter the house you know, a bit like the um yeah the 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 pictures you get from places where it snows a lot and you sort of open the door and there's like the imprint of the door, um, the, the, the doorknob that very slowly fills in and just a wall of snow, except in this case it's it's water. <laughs> and, it did, and an upset-looking cat. Yeah, presumably a cat wondering what the hell's going on and when are you going to fix it. <laughs> and, you know, a little bit of, you know, presumably the, the, you know, a brave person who sort of eventually take a breath and sort of stick their head out and look up and, you know, the surface is up there. You can see sort of beams of sunlight coming down. You know, from the look of it, there's a couple of, um, there's a a cow and a couple of chickens kind of swimming around up there and the ducks seem to be okay. But everything's 
underwater. And so, you know, eventually that, that you know, one of those aforementioned brave people kind of ties a rope to themselves, swims across to the barn and discovers the barn's in pretty much the same situation. You've got a bunch of cows who are wondering what the hell is going on. And then somebody notices that, you know, much like the these rules of, uh, you know, the, the rule of, uh, of sort of vampires cannot enter the house or whatever, the water seems to be obeying rules as well. Because, like, you know, the front door just opens directly out, but the back door has a bit of a porch over it. And the area under the porch is clear of clear of water. And so, being a bit experimental, somebody gets an umbrella and puts that up and tries it walking out. And it turns out it works a little bit like if it was raining incredibly hard. As long mm. as you've got something above you, you're in an air bubble. Right. Which, of course, makes absolutely no sense. The, the rain is working like it was... Not a time-lapse, but... Yeah, it is. It, the, the rain. The rain is everywhere. The rain would could fall. It's un. It's uncertainty rain. Yeah, it is. A, it is a. Mm. It is a. It is all of the rain that has ever been, except where there can't there there can't be rain right now. Pretty much. It's almost Minecraft, Minecraft rules, but um. <laughs> it's a glug, glug. Yes. Yeah. And so yes, this is all very confusing to everybody. Yep. Some, somebody That's will fair. probably take a walk across to the neighbours to let them know what has been figured out, and, or, or or vice versa. And yeah, nobody's really sure what the hell to do next because the water, the air doesn't appear to be getting stale. But at the same time, this is pretty weird. And by a lot of the way through, yeah, by a chunk of the way through the day, people have started to notice. Well, you know, the chickens in the hen house seem to be fine, but some of them have actually sort of wandered out and they seem to be okay swimming around in the water even though they are not under an umbrella and you know those cows that didn't get round um, rounded up well they're still recognizably cows but cows aren't usually able to dive and kind of feed off the grass sort of 20 odd feet underwater and that grass is looking a little bit odd now sort of thing things seem to be changing nobody's really sure what to do the cows have embraced their dugong nature. A little bit, yeah. The, the cows also seem... The legs seem to be a little bit more flippery than anybody remembers cows' legs being. And indeed, don't 100% seem to match up with the cows that are in the barn. And then, of an evening, nobody's really sure what the hell to do. Nobody's willing to light a fire for entirely obvious reasons. But you start to hear voices from outside. And it, it's very much voices filtered through water. But it's a couple of people doing that thing where they're simultaneously having a heated argument, but trying to be really quiet about it. Not being rude. <laughs> Indeed. You know, the kind of, let's do the, shut up, they'll hear you, you shut up, this kind of thing. Moving through the, farm, the, the, the farmyard and getting closer and closer to the building and apparently arguing over, well, look, obviously it's abandoned, we can hide in here. No, what if it's not? What if there's somebody in there? <laughs> yeah, there's light coming from it. So, so what? They get to the front there. Yeah, this, 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 these voices sort of get to the front door and are attempting to open it. Somebody presumably in the, in the house, presumably wondering what on earth is going on, just unbars the door and opens it. And on the other side of the door, you've got some sort of human-sized, vaguely octopus-based creature and a sort of human-sized thing that's a bit crab-like, staring at you, probably screaming in terror. Huh. I, you'd given me the whole like 
mercow thing had given me um the mock turtle from um alice in wonderland or through the, the looking glass vibes already but now yes i'm fully fully kind of getting that um the the walrus and the carpenter kind of vibes <laughs> indeed and so cut, cutting to what is actually going on i'm i'm pitching this as as a very kind of Miyazaki Studio Ghibli kind of kind of setup, tending more towards the the spirited away end of the spectrum, but or Ponyo possibly I've not seen that pon, one. Pon, yeah, sort of Ponyo Ponyo on the cliffs by the Ponyo. sea. I think. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was thinking of Pompoko, which is the weird Tanuki one, <laughs> which I have seen. Mm. It's, uh, weird. I've not seen that. It is uh, a lot of Tanuki and their balls, their magical magical balls. Yep. Folklore is fun, guys. <laughs> Let's just leave that hanging there, shall we? Um, yeah. <laughs> Dangling, as it were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, swaying. Uh, so, various undersea... Yeah, so courts of undersea, probably spirit creatures, have gone to war. And the, the, the battle is... Um, the battle has quite literally spilled over onto the land. These two who have turned up are deserters just trying to get the hell out of there and had absolutely no idea that there were people around. Or possibly that this was not this, the ocean previously because something has gone terribly wrong. Indeed, something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. And this is basically going to be the game in this is sort of the, the whole diplomacy is warfare by other means school of thought. The game of some some farming types attempting to navigate these sort of undersea undersea spirit spirit courts trying to put things back the way they were and so it's not not sort of the the full on dealing with the fey where every possible um you know every every possible loophole must be checked kind of thing it is it is rather more yeah i'm i'm using spirited away here on the grounds of you know these entities might not be friendly, but there are rules they have to follow, and they'll follow them, but only if you know they have to follow them. Uh, and also, it sounds like the possible that the situation has gotten well out of the parameters of what they expected, and you calling them on their bullshit gives you a measure of power as well. Indeed. Being able to turn up and say, yes, you have invaded our territory. Did you mean hmm. to invade our territory? So yes, it will be the game of of people people traveling to and and interacting with these undersea courts and trying to get some sort of resolution to somebody else's war because it's literally turning their cows into dugongs or weird flipper turtles. But yes. Yeah, or weird <laughs> flipper turtles. Uh let's not even talk about what's happening to the rooster. That's just weird. Oh no. I mean, it would be like I think it would it would be like I'm getting stonefish, but like even more kind of showy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, I would. I would pitch this. I would want this to be a light-hearted game. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not sort of at the level. I mean, this was in no small way in terms of vibe influenced by noticing uh, Yazeba's bed and breakfast on the the Gen Con events list, um, which is very much your your. It's from uh, Possum Creek Games, who did Wonder Home, and it's this sort of slice of life, slice of life, 
RPG uh, RPG about um, sort of magical house and, and found family and all that kind of thing. And I obviously the setting isn't the same, but it's kind of the vibe I'd want to hit. That this is not going to be for the most part a game about we're going to go in there and and kick the doors in and and slaughter the opposing king and take their kingdom. This is this is going to be we are going to find allies, mm, meet funny characters and advisors and solve problems and yeah. We're going to fix the problems. Possibly we're going to end up fixing you know, fixing whatever the hell this war is about just so that they will stop it, roll quite literally roll back the tide and give us our cows back. Mm. You know, undo yeah. whatever magical thing has occurred. Awesome. Or possibly not. Now you might decide actually this is more you know, this is more fun like this. Because you know, presumably as this goes along, people are going to find that they need that umbrella that they're standing under less and less. because uh, they're changing. Their mm. farm is changing. Their whole world is changing. Yeah, that, that's what I got. That's where, that's where I ended up. And it was mostly just because I still really wanted that sort of light coming through the um, the water, sort of brightly sun-dappled undersea environment kind of vibe. So, I mean, I'm, I'm still very much stuck to the, I, I want the cool box art. But um, I also wanted a game that might make sense. No, that's, that's entirely... If if we have a thesis, it's take a cool thing that inspires you from pop culture and make a game out of it, because Lord knows we won't get around to it. <laughs> that is our, um, if that wasn't too entirely long and um, rambly, that could be our, our motto. So no, that sounds awesome, actually. Yeah, I'm getting a very not quite Wizards of Oz, Wizard of Oz kind of feel about it, like a, 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 a fantastical fairy tale has turned up on your doorstep how do you deal with it how how and making it a yes we're on, we're we're off to see the whoever the wizard is in the scenario and then shake him uh, roughly by his lapels until he helps us figure this out kind of thing <laughs> mm. yeah i mean i'm i'm of of the view that probably when it becomes obvious yeah when it becomes known that this is what has happened many parties involved are going to be horrified because this was never the intention and has probably broken all sorts of ancient compacts and severely upset plans of of great magnitude. So it's all, oh, this is this is a big problem, and we may not they may not even know how to sort this out. And it's I quite like the idea of this being hardworking rural folk from say you know the nineteen hundreds. So they understand a bunch of things and they might be there they might they they understand like science to to a certain degree but this is wildly out of their 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 ambit except for what practical sensible stuff they can bring to a solution and maybe that's what's missing mm. yeah there's there's sort of starting settings that this wouldn't work for like the city version of this i can't really imagine how that would work it would be a very different sort of game but the small, the small sort of farming community of a wide variety of eras that it would kind of work for, I feel. Mm, yeah, you know, they don't need to be on a tiny island. Um, they just need to be isolated enough that the immediate problem is the water, not what the hell is happening in New York City. Yes, and also there is no one is they've got no indication whether somebody has noticed this has happened or. Or expectation that someone else is going to come and help with this particular mm. thing. This is these are folks who've got to go and solve their own problems, and 
have a set of reliable but simple tools to do so. So, yeah, it's cool. I like it. Huzzah. Yeah. Yeah. System-wise, I don't. <laughs> uh, anything that is not just, uh, you know, uh, like a power gradient, something that gives you a chance to explore the char- character's relationships and, and do things helpfully or hinderfully to um, to move the story along. Mm, true. Not 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 just a character shape with buttons that have murder written over all of them. <laughs> oh right, one of those games. Okay, yes, Murder Hobos Incorporated. I'm sure that's not actually a game, but I kind of feel it probably like it is. Be. You know. Yeah, that's fair. And grossly unfair on hobos, who are mostly the uh, the unlucky folks, and and that sort of equation. So yes. Hmm. True. I, I, I did have a book on the American hobo tradition. Um, mm. It's probably sitting in a storage unit on the other side of the planet right now, but um, it was very interesting to read about. So that was that was that was my idea. Um, we also have something from John. Mm-hmm. All right. Hello. Thank you for that, Craig. That is uh, your aquapastoral fantastic adventure. Ooh. Yeah. Aquapastoral. That's an entirely new genre that I'm I'm pretty sure. Uh, we could we could definitely um i mean it's no there's no historical uh, saucy romance but i think you know there's, there's always a chance people go for it they must be sick of um, yeah there could there could be historical saucy romances <laughs> okay but maybe rather than ya dystopias we might we might have a we might have an opportunity there to usurp the paradigm yeah this is the more yeah i mean this could be made into an and and not safe for work yeah, dystopia but I would prefer not to do that. <laughs> That's fair. Very fair. We'll hand it over. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if we can sub in Chuck Tingle. He must have written something along these lines. Inevitably. <laughs> the the mm. Chuck Tingle continuum is, is endless. <laughs> the Tingleverse. I think there was an RPG. I'm not looking now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll check and let you know. Hold that thought. So, in lieu of that, we have a contribution from John Rea for the courtly submarine warfare prompt as follows my first thought was an alternate history thing archimedes or leonardo da vinci making subs but neither are the right time period for things like courtly warfare then ding i remember a fun little board game by fantasy flight games red november a cooperative board game of gnomes trying to keep their sub the red november from burning sinking or being eaten by the kraken many a gnome went to a watery grave in our play so Let's use a fantasy setting, which just about any would work. Heck, even Burning Wheel. Note, only for people who like really fiddly rule systems. Look out, John, Luke Crane will fight you. <coughs> Background. Dwarves living near the sea hear of the vast riches that dot the seafloor from some mer people. They prove this by delivering various nuggets and concretions of various metals. The dwarves really want to get to the source of these riches, but, well, dwarves and water don't really mix. Dwarves sink like stones in water. Fortuitously, some gnomes hear of their plight, and together they make a vessel capable of diving beneath the waves, and most importantly, returning to the surface again. The Geth Vosjokir, the fish boat. The first few prototypes meet with watery demises, but per- perseverance, bravery, and overwhelming greed, <laughs> they kept at it until the first fish boat succeeded and brought back the crew of the brought back a crew of Stovak Jurgo, sea dwarfs. Soon these sea, soon these sea, sea dwarves, some, sometimes called 
Stool Jigger, bit awkward. Thanks, John, for another lesson in pronunciation languages that we will never master. I, I like the fact that he's just basically trying to get us say to say words that we have no idea how to pronounce. Yeah, he's just sort of kind of messing with Kiwi's thing, I think. Uh, I mean, to be fair, given what we have done to to vowels, I think we've earned a certain amount of It's okay, it's fair. We can't um, deny the existence of fashion chops, can, can we? Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> Please continue. Applying the ocean depths in search of treasure and rich veins to mine. They take to living on the sea, building great structures. Storvac can totter. Sea castles, resting on the tallest structures ever built, descending up to five kilometres into the seafloor. Though castle is a misleading term, they're more like foundry platforms, smithing stations, mushroom farms, and all the comforts of home under the sunny ocean skies. And as great a setting as this is, this is not courtly submarine warfare. No, for that we need the humans to get that going. The human kingdoms, upon learning of the dwarvish fish boats, commission their own, but not for exploring or mining, but for war. Some are massive, rivaling the largest dwarf mining fish boat in size, but many are of a modest size, having a crew of 20 stout men plying the waters, looking for prey in the form of enemy ships, and ramming them with raped prows and aquatic spells. But again, this isn't courtly submarine warfare. Great setting, though it is. No, we get courtly submarine warfare when there's no wars to fight. And you have a bunch of law... Lords of the Sea, nobles, and other ne'er-do-wells of royal blood, all chomping on the bit for some action. If you don't find an outlet for these blokes, you get another war whether or not you want one. And so the art of courtly fishboat, submarine, warfare was created by kings and emperors trying to keep a lid on things. Much like jousting, it has many rules and traditions to keep things sane, and keeping royal bloodlines from abruptly ending. Specialised fishboats were fashioned. A crew of six doughty aquanauts to man them, too small to be practical in actual naval battles. <laughs> you know the party the players will try. More of a danger to a skiff or a dinghy than to a man of war. These vessels, either in one-on-one contests or as teams of three vessels each, would conduct mock naval battles in the local bay or harbour. Injuries do happen, as does the occasional drowning, but fun is have had by all and the local sea lord gets to fight. Sorry, there's a, a New Zealand um, fisheries company called Sea Lord, and I'm just imagining mm. like the purveyor of cheap, processed, and breaded fish products just weighing in there with a cardboard box full of fish fingers. Um, it's a, hilarious to me, but to be fair, I slept very badly. Yeah, I don't know. They probably um, are at least as ruthless as any privateers, so... Oh, they'd sue the hell out of you in an instant, but yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Up to six players, one of whom can be the Sea Lord, though that role could be filled by an NPC if you wish. While the Sea Lord doesn't have to be a sailor, the other PCs really should be, and specialise in fish boats. The courtly fish boats are powered by both human muscle and magical spells, so a mage or two would not be out of line. And yes, non-humans participate in the contests, as does the occasional ship and crew from a landlocked kingdom. Shade of cool runnings. So batten down the hatches, power up the mana generators, and get that tail a-flapping and set sail for glory! Indeed. Um, there was a suggestion that the uh, the Sea Dwarves might um, cast off their traditional Scots accents for Jamaican ones also, but I, it felt weird to me. I don't know. Also, it's difficult to do a good Jamaican accent. It's difficult for me to do a good Jamaican accent anyway. Well, yeah, without, yeah. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's troublesome. Um, anywho, yes. As usual, extremely good job of taking the prompt very, very literally and and and, and executing on the um, on the assignment. I like I like that. <laughs> I mean, I'm at least vaguely thinking of an aquatic version of a knight's tale here, just because it would be funny. Certainly, if you want the uh, fish out of water ahem type nice. of story, yeah. Nice. You could have and. And it's referencing of Cool Runnings, the idea that these these folks have come down from the the Highlands to try their hand at this uh, highly romanticised and um, pageantry filled thing of. I'm interested in the mechanics of. Is it is it? Is it I'm I'm sure this would be something to to work out, but is it like actual echolocation and 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 sort of surprise attacks, or is it something more like those? You know the battles where they flooded the Colosseum and and had like pitched <laughs> like naval battles and so forth for people's entertainment. How does how does the how does the how is there a spectator thing or is it just like, well, you came back. I guess the other guys uh, didn't do so good. Yeah, how much of a how much of a how much of a spectacle it is while it's going on. I mostly due to my own biases would. Prob- probably pictured as something akin to sort of America's Cup racing, um, those, those mm, various yep. times that it has occurred in harbors. So, like, it is happening where people can see it, but you're going to need a telescope. And oh, yeah. because it's also going to be happening partially underwater, what's going on is going to be a bit opaque. There will certainly be. I mean, yeah, if, to make it, uh, you know, give it sort of like match race rules, you know, maybe there are bits that you have to be underwater and there's bits where you have to be on the surface and it's that there's uh, some sort of uh, exciting revelation to see how one team or the other has positioned themselves between those portions of the uh, the contest. I mean, the idea that they just kind of like charge at one another underwater and attempt to um, knock the conning tower off. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> lethal but funny <laughs> yeah yeah that seems yeah i mean that one that one seems a little bit too straightforward the whole okay have you computed your firing solution seems a little overboard well if it's a spectator thing it also makes it a bit uh, prone to um being influenced by because it you know if it's an intelligence warfare thing like naval conflict is in general but specifically submarine it's one thing but yeah that's 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 intriguing maybe the limitations of the 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 way that they run mean that you 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 could come up with some 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 dodge that the um the propulsion system is extremely detectable from a particular you know like from from the aft so that you're when you're maneuvering around you're you're trying to throw the opponent off but you know if you wind up behind them you'll know exactly where you are they are and you can you can defeat them by taking out the uh, the propulsion but the the rest of the time you're you're constantly kind of maneuvering around to try and to get into the other's blind spot kind of thing that would be that might make it interesting at least you know it might make it a, a, a sort of exciting contest for observers as well mm. i think sort of yeah some some sort of environment where you're sneaking around yeah, a, a reasonably complicated environment. So there's stuff to hide behind mm. and under and, and inside of. And these are these are sprightly little mini subs. But you know, whenever you're doing something dramatic or risky, 
there are, you're putting yourself in danger and or giving yourself away. So yeah, it's all yeah, interesting. So something a bit more like um, something akin to Blue Max or the um, the X-wing tabletop game to some degree. Hmm. Yes, I mean this is this is almost a callback to the various how do you do a sports game mm. questions because this is this is some somewhat of a sports game somewhat of a, a a sporting competition story that you've got the the what's happening on the yeah. field and then you've got the everything else yeah and in some ways that you you that my impulse would be you know, like a like a tournament arc in an anime you'd be you'd be playing the the emotional journey more than the um more than the sort of like the technical aspects of the, uh, the mm. sport. Interesting. Anything to add? I do like that it gives you the opportunity to to basically pull in pretty much every sports movie trope you can think of, plus a bunch of nobility royalty maneuvering. You you've got a rich panoply of 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 plot elements you can throw in there. Which is is kind of handy, you know. Everything from the the sort of dirty, underhanded tactics people, you know, the the flip side of the sort of tough and brutal competitor who is completely different outside of the uh, outside of the game, sort of mm, rivalries and yeah, and yeah. all sorts of other sort of the the, the fiercely fought rivalries, but only on the field kind of thing, and the fiercely fought rivalries and not only on the field kind of thing. Yep. Um, there's a lot of a, a lot of material that can be quite blatantly pinched there. Did I say pinch? I mean I mean be inspired by. Yes. Yes. yes that's that, that is what we are all about. Not pinching Indeed. things or at least calling it something different. Yes. If you yeah, it's if you steal from more than three places it's inspiration. It doesn't count. <laughs> or it's research. Yes. Not plagiarism if it comes from more than three places, it's research. So yes, that is this is quite fun. Yes, I, I am imagining that these things are probably operating in fairly shallow water, just because it would make for a better spectator spectator sport and allows you to have various things like, okay, we're just going to try to jump over the obstacle and surprise them, uh, sort of sort of rubbish. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Thank you. Thank you very much, John. That was... And, and you managed to get that yeah idea to work. Indeed. Thank you. Giving us pronunciation challenges we try not to look at the ideas sent into us before the um recording so we keep our own own glorious credible ideas pristine cough 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 but yeah the the uh, landmines of uh not english sadly are a bit of a challenge <laughs> mm, yes i mean i i i feel i get a pass on it just because i'm living in England, and so the idea of, of correctly pronunciating... Pronunciating? Really? Pronouncing... <laughs> no, no, let's go with that. The idea of correctly yeah. pronunciating words that may have come from uh, other countries is is anathema. It may even be illegal. I'm genuinely not sure. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. It's... it's Yeah, I might lose my citizenship and be deported if I pronounce French words properly, for example. It, it's a... Uh, a tough, uncertain time. Indeed. And speaking of tough, uncertain times, hmm. we we have run a poll for the topic for the final episode of first edition Big Red Couch. And the voting was frenetic and exciting. 
and in, I feel, fine Big Red Couch tradition, came in in an inconclusive fashion, because of course it bloody did. Indeed. And so, again, in fine Big Red Couch fashion, rather than, like, flipping a coin or rolling a dice or doing anything remotely sensible about this, we instead decided, okay, well, sort it, let's just have two prompts and see what happens. So, as this will be the the final first edition episode, where all we have to do before we sign off is to let you know what the prompt or prompts, and you're not obliged, of course, to use both the prompts, but it will be worth extra points. Those prompts are Gangsters of Dreams, provided by Terry, and Goose Deucer, provided by John. So, if you can somehow merge those inspirations together in some terrifying hybrid well we're uh we're 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 going to be in for a treat i guess i mean i've got a mental image of how to combine them but to be fair it's mostly a spectral multi-headed goose wearing hats and carrying a a classic sort of tommy gun i guess yep that's that's one way to take it yeah not a good idea but it's just what's happening (laughs) you're really really going for the visual i want to buy this paperback that was released sometime in the late 80s kind of vibed this week. And so you're being consistent, at least. Eh, that's fair. <laughs> that's, yeah, that just does seem to be what's happening at the at the moment. Um, yeah, it's like, would it look cool airbrushed on a van? I mean, that that is something that you need to... It's a, a, a question you need to ask yourself at any stage in your life when you're considering, a, a you know, an aesthetic choice. But yeah, no, it's, it's good. That's, that's worth. That's worthwhile. Yeah, redoing your resume. Would this look cool airbrushed on a van, or would it just look sad and desperate? <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least your resume is the fact that you're like a an automotive painter who does like custom artwork. Then, then in that specific circumstance, it probably makes sense to airbrush it onto a van. But like for a programmer, yeah. Who knows? Maybe it's the it's the the difference that stands out. But as what is I think a line in Archer describing uh, Krieger's van as rolling probable cause, um, so, <laughs> it might be okay. A, <laughs> okay, yeah. good, good, good to know. <laughs> so we have a prompt. We are we are freed ourselves from the um, dull, rusted shackles of democracy. And there's no so there's no poll. You may run out in the streets and um, set fire to whatever you wish. Uh, not in our name, but whatever sort of you know, thing you choose. Mm. And we uh, we will see you next time for some sort of unholy amalgam of Gangster of Dreams and Goose Deucer. Anything, anything you'd like to sign up on? Well, by, by the time this episode drops, the the wailing and shrieking and, and gnashing, gnashing to teeth and bargaining with dark gods uh, of the Gen Con event registration process will have happened mm. uh, as 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 we record this we are about a week out from the the worst of it shall we say the period where many many nerds try to hit that button as soon as it becomes live and then watch in horror as the servers catch fire 
and and wish lists of events get processed. So for for those of you out there listening to this uh, who are attending, I hope you got at least some of the stuff that you wanted. And if that didn't happen, I hope you were able to find other stuff that looked entertaining. Hmm. And you'll be attending. You'll be attending remotely. Uh, no, I will. I will be attending in person unless things go horribly wrong, which is always a possibility. Oh wow! Um, you heard it here first, folks. I wasn't even aware. I thought you were. Oh, okay. I'm not going to say doing the sensible thing, but certainly doing the cheap thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, it, it, yeah. It, it ain't. It ain't cheap. All right. Oh, I've, I've got my, my flights booked, and I've got various hotels booked, and I've booked, and I've got the, the all-important leave from work booked. Still need wow. to sort out little pesky things like visa waivers and travel insurance that covers absolutely everything up to and including a alien invasion, because I do not want a repeat of 2019. Thank you very much. That's that's a, a great call. And so we could, I, I was wondering if we could look forward to some reportage of your, your booking experience and, and future online games, but it sounds like we might be in for uh, some... In, in the uh, at some stage we'll get to hear about the the four greatest bemasked days of gaming my understanding is that yeah masks will be will be heavily involved in in this one for entirely sensible reasons I personally feel he's got see if you can source yourself some sort of pressure suit <laughs> I mean yeah this is this is sort of presumably an absolute boon to cosplayers and it's sort of a, oh no got to wear a mask all day never done that before <laughs> yes I, I am i am cosplaying all day in my fuck what was the alien contact movie with the suits oh there was arrival uh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. arrival cosplay contagion i think from yeah, no, sometime in the 90s as well yeah there's there's lots of possibilities you probably get your n95 in your in your um we'll have a 40k space marine armor pretty easily Mm. Yes, I, I may actually. I suspect for the purposes of for the purposes of Gen Con, I do need to get some masks that are a little bit more stay in place than the ones I currently have, uh, mm. just because you know I sort of I have them for for going shopping and that kind of thing, but not circumstances where I'm actually needing to talk. And as somebody who has a beard, the mask has a tendency to kind of slide its way slowly up my face. So. Mm. Something that stays in place a little bit better. I don't know. I wasn't aware that aware that a that facial hair was a form of lubricant, but apparently that's what's going on here. Uh, it, it it has a directionality. There is a grain mm. to. Well, I assume for your your fa- your facial hair isn't just kind of like a, a a texture applied with a slider, so that it will it will cause things to move in a particular direction easier than another maybe if i've gone overboard on the the, the beard trimmer it's it's more of a texture applied with a slider but you know yeah. um no most of the time it has actual like i've never it, it's not at the point where i can braid the thing let's put it that way but it but, does have a nap uh, to it so yeah it does there is it, there is there, there is a weft to it as it were it, it, it has a particular lie where is this bit going oh i'm not sure i'm not sure yeah, no, 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 we're good. Regardless of what we do, and then, uh, and certainly there will be some uh, some evidence on your personal blog of your um, travails. Well, uh, fascinated to hear about your um, gnarly-sounding automation process for the uh, selection, which I honestly didn't entirely uh, follow. Yeah, I at, at this point have have gone. 
very deeply into the ridiculousness of of things in that I had previously dusted off some some dimly remembered VBA. Oof. I think it's Visual Basic for Applications. Um, mm. To build a a wish list priority visualizer so that I could I could better understand how okay if I don't get that event then that means it's no longer blocking this other event sort of um, uh, system for 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 priorities. Um, mm. In previous years, I've just sketched it out on bits of paper, but that gets old fast. I have since added to that something so that I can copy paste text from the Gen Con website into a different Excel sheet which then parses it into the format that I can plug into the visualizer to to make a better workflow. A sane person might have scripted this or have just used a piece of paper and a pencil, but we're on episode 174 of a gaming podcast. Sanity left the building a while ago. Indeed. And and speaking of sanity leaving the building, if you check out the hashtag in, uh, KiwiRPG, I submitted um, to a thread of uh, references to New Zealand and role-playing games, the one from hmm. uh, Evil Hat's Fate of Cthulhu, where Cthulhu cultists make a building in Auckland that makes somehow makes the world end and Auckland skyline worse, which, you know, how? I don't know, but yeah, it sounds like an accomplishment. So that was that was my the shout-out. There's a few other fun little uh, references in there as well i'm trying to think of what the uh yeah what building in in auckland could accomplish both of these things we're talking just central business district or or wider or there is a there is a there is an arcane structure with the sky tower in the um the background in the book so i assume that's what they meant ah huh okay I mean, I can think of a few places with somewhat eldritch geometry, but um, yeah, okay. Oh, this is a special, a special building with um, extra angles. Oh, modern architecture, got it. All oh, right, <laughs> oh, the Vero building. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so anyway, uh, on that uh, bizarre di- digression. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we hope that we haven't completely put you off the idea of listening to our final first edition episode, Gangsters of Dreams slash Goose Deucer. And we will catch you next time on the Big Red Couch. Bye. Want to hear more of our shenanigans? Then go to hoarde.net and click on the button that looks like a couch. The Big Red Couch is released under attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, 3.0 unported from creativecommons.org. All music on the show comes from the album Universal Fluff Theory by Krakatoa. Visit them at krakatoa.com or follow the link from our page. See you next time!